This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to another edition of the Arrowhead Attic Podcast with Sterling Holmes and Matt Connor. I am Sterling Holmes. Matt Connor back from a luxurious vacation drinking strawberry daiquiris. First off, Matt, <laughs> I got to say, I am not mad. I am just disappointed. You invited what? Your wife and not your podcast co-host? How dare you? As much as I wanted to see you in a Speedo next to me on the beach somewhere, I just thought it would be a better move for my long-term marital health to go with the missus. Probably for your eyes, too. I don't think you want to see me in a Speedo, see the... The kind of tan that I got going on right now. The golfer's tan. It's it's not pretty. Let me let me tell you as a like I have two shades. It's either pale white or slightly off white, <laughs> less pale. And I am now the latter. I'm and I'm proud of it too. I'm proud. Uh, although although anyone would be like, dude, dude, please put a shirt on. You're blinding me. And I'd be like, wait, I just got back from the Caribbean. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> No one knows what's wider, Matt Connor's chest or Heelman's mayo. Um, A lot that I want to get into today. I want to get into a lot of Chiefs. Just there's so much to get into, especially with Dan Sorensen, Juan Thornhill, that flip flop. Uh, Obviously, Kansas City bouncing back, getting a 31-13 victory over Washington. But I want to talk about something that happened post game that really has me got me fired up. One of my good friends, Josh Briscoe, was tweeting during the game, didn't tag Tyron Matthew, basically saying, mm. hey, man, Tyron, you missed a sack. You were throwing your hands up when Dan Sorensen was getting beat, and then Tyron Matthew just went scorched earth on Briscoe, getting after him. And was this something that, that kind of bothers you? Because it kind of bothered me. I don't think we're being divisive when we try and hold our star players accountable. I don't think we're being divisive when we have a question saying, hey, Tyron, you know, you're out here getting on Dan Sorensen. We think you're a great player, but when you miss a sack, you don't wrap up. I think it's fair to question what is going on. And then Tyron basically going on a tirade saying, you don't know anything about football. I had a fractured thumb. First off, we didn't know you had a fractured thumb. That might be good knowledge to, to have. Do you have any issues with some of the players acting like we're not being complete cheerleaders and not just being 100% on their side all of the time? Um, maybe, maybe. But I'll, I'll say this. I'm not sure I'm all that interested in that part of the conversation, although I understand why people are. Like, I understand why you would say that's frustrating to you. I would understand why Josh, who's a great guy, you know, and we're all fans of, of Matthew, too. So, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to say one thing or the other here. I'm just, I think for me, here's, here's the thing, here's the part of all this that fascinates me the most. Like, like, I guess I'm trying to put myself in Matthew's shoes. And trying to, like, like I'm at my worst when I go looking around on social media for things to, to like, get under my skin. And it seems like in this instance... That, that Tyron Matthew is, like, actively looking for the trolls, actively looking to get sort of riled up. Like, like there's, like, it's almost like he's looking for a fight to pick. And, and 
in that manner, I just think, man, I've been there before in different things, like with family and politics or religion or what, like, like in these other categories. And I think, man, when I do that, I'm not my best self. And when I do that, I'm usually not that healthy. And when I'm doing that, there are a hundred better ways for me to use my time. And instead, I get sucked up into those kind of like online social media battles, whatever. So there's a part of me that's wondering, what's going on? Like, what's really bothering Matthew? What's really making him use his time this way? I mean, here's a guy who's an emotional leader of the team. He's been around the NFL for a long time. He's like, he's a household name, even from college football days. So, like, I don't know why a guy like that is suddenly acting like he's shocked at online sports fan or even analyst behavior. Nothing Briscoe did is out of the norm. Nothing fans are saying are out of the norm. There's always going to be the, the, the idiot who, like, ats a player and then, like, and then says something derogatory from their couch, you know, with, with Cheeto dust on their hands. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and that's not even what Briscoe is doing. I mean, like, so, I mean, there's, there are those layers to talk about, I guess, with Briscoe and, and Tyron, and I'd love to hear your take on that. But I guess for me, there, I'm, I'm almost like even more interested in, like, what's what's Matthew thinking? Why is he even diving into these waters? Um, like, I mean, is 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 the mental health of this team coming apart with the losses? For me, is the championship expectations too much? I don't know. Just for me, my issue is when you're in the media, you're not a cheerleader. Your job is not to say everything these guys do is infallible. Right. When you're in the media, your job is to just state the facts and basically ask questions what is going on when this is a team that has championship aspirations. When Tyron Matthew, who I, I love Tyron Matthew, I want him to be here for a long time, but it's, I think it's fair to say, hey, what is going on? You've been very outspoken or at least gesture-wise, and then you don't wrap up on a tackle. I just think it's fair to ask these questions. It's not personal, nothing derogatory. I hate when people at players and say, you know, hurtful, horrible things to these guys. That's that's not the case here. You know, just to me, I think that's an issue. I think it's a very good point. Why is Tyron Matthew even wasting time responding to things like this? Um, But the other side that I do want to take is maybe Tyron Matthew has a point of saying, have we been so negative on maybe we're focusing on the wrong issues while we just saw the Chiefs' defense hold Washington to 13 points. Shut them out in the second half. That the fact, I get it's Washington football team. I understand that Tyler Heineke is the quarterback. I understand it's not some explosive world-beating offense, but they have averaged 24 points per game until Casey came in there, right? Yeah. Maybe Tyron's just saying, stop focusing on what we're doing wrong and maybe start taking some positives away. Uh, now see, now there I would disagree. Um, like, like there I would say, look, if you come into a game one third of the way through the season, allowing the most points in football, you still have questions to answer. Sorry that, that going up against, uh, Ron Rivera's great offense as well known as it is, didn't satisfy all of us. So in, in some ways it's a little frustrating. Like, like, if that's what's frustrating Matthew, then that's frustrating to me. Because certainly you have to know that a single win, even an 18-point win, over the Washington football team is not going to satisfy your doubters or silence your critics. But again, I've got to wonder, 
a man that we've seen really seem to have a good grip on on the mindset it takes to play this game seems to be losing that mindset a bit. And so it makes me wonder, is is the wait for a long-term contract extension getting to his head? Is the losing getting to the team? Are there very real fractures being pointed out? Like like maybe he is down on Sorensen and then getting called on it, he wants to cover it up. I mean, like, I don't know. But when something seems disproportional, it always is. And so I think there's something bigger underneath the surface going on that is making these battles become a focus for Matthew at all. So you're saying the Chiefs' defense is not completely fixed after this win? Because that would hurt, Matt. I, I, I think it's... <laughs> We have nothing to worry about. I know you weren't. I know you weren't saying that, and I do think they deserve credit. I do think they deserve credit. Um, but you know, I, you know, I think I think most people went okay. Good, you needed to win that game. Now let's still talk about what's wrong, and I think that's appropriate. So the biggest takeaway defensively was Juan Thornhill playing 100 percent of the snaps, while Dan Sorensen was around previous Juan Thornhill numbers. I get it. It's a huge difference of, of competition that they were playing, but it is nice seeing Juan Thornhill get inserted and basically flip-flopping with Dan and the results being this promising. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Even more, for me, the story. Rashad, outside corner, Fenton, he played 100% of snaps. 100%. We saw him make multiple plays outside. I was like... Who am I watching, and where did he come from, and when did he get this good with this many reps? I think we've seen him succeed, um, you know, partially here and there. You know, when when given, um, I, I don't, you know, like not a lot. When, when he's not given a lot of responsibility, he seems to hold up really well. And you're like, man, what a great sixth round pick. But if he can provide starters reps on the outside and look that good against against better competition that that's really tremendous he allowed Sneed to stay inside which which that trio of Matthew Thornhill and Sneed looked excellent I mean if they can move forward with that um you know as, as sort of a better trio of safeties and then bring in Sorensen on on like more like dime packages rather than nickel yeah I do, I I just think I um I love Fenton's emergence when Charverius Ward gets back this could be a better secondary than than they have been. That's exciting to me. Yeah, I'm very enthused by this secondary. Obviously, Traverius Ward, when he comes back, pushes everyone down a peg. I like keeping Legereus Sneed in the slot. That allows him to be more aggressive. That allows him to blitz because, frankly, he's probably been about the second best uh, guy to get after the quarterback this year. And then Rashad Finnan. Anytime you can get a sixth rounder who can make that much of an impact, that is huge. Then having DeAndre Baker, Mike Hughes as depth pieces, that is very exciting. The defensive line has been disappointing to put it mildly. Jaron Reed has been MIA. Frank Clark maybe had his best game of the year last game against the Reds against the Washington football team. Michael Dan is continually just emerging. What have you seen from this defensive line? Is there some positives we can take? Is it still just a, you know what, this is who we got. They're not going to be very good. But what's your main takeaway on the defensive line through six games? Yeah, um, I was, you know what, I was impressed by what I saw on Sunday. And I'm actually very hopeful going forward. Remember this. 
Um, we've had, uh, like, Frank Clark has not been healthy. Um, Chris Jones has missed multiple weeks at the same time. Um, and we've seen Mike Dana emerge out of that as a worthy starter. So we're now looking at three guys who should be starting outside. I think we'd all love to see Chris Jones kick back inside. But Jaron Reed had four pressures on Sunday. So, like, if you were looking for, hey, are we ever going to see Jaron Reed? We just did. It didn't show up in the sack column, but he was there at least getting a few pressures. Again, it was on Heineke. Again, their line's not that great. You know, they're without Brandon Scherf and um, and Sam Cosme, the rookie. So, um, you know, it, say what you will about the competition, but Reed showed up. When Clark and Jones get healthy, Dan is going to look better than ever. We saw Tershawn Wharton interception on Sunday. <laughs> what hands, baby? Hands oh, man, he was incredible. He was incredible in that play. I, I, I'm, I'm just, like, all these guys are still young enough and emerging enough that I think the line you're going to see in Week 16 is going to look way different than the line we've seen in Weeks 1 through 5. And uh, not to mention, I mean, who knows if Whitney Merciless is going to sign. I mean, as of right now, when we're talking, you know, Merciless was just uh, released today, this afternoon, by the Houston Texans. And word is that there's mutual interest on both sides. So, you know, there's a possibility, you know, for those who were like, why didn't we sign a Melvin Ingram type, um, you know, a guy, you know, Merciless is, Merciless is going to be maybe the veteran addition that Okafor hasn't been so far. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see. No, nothing's for certain. The defensive line, my main takeaway is 25% of the cap space has been sunk into this defensive line. It is a sunk cost at this point. There are still a lot of reasons to be enthused. The emergence of Michael Dan is probably first and foremost. I think, obviously, when you have guys as athletic as Tershawn Wharton, as talented as Chris Jones, a guy who can do a backflip in Colin Saunders, you have to be like, okay, they're going to get at least a little bit better. My thing with Frank Clark here is, I don't want to just give him the starting job back. I think he needs to prove that he has earned it back because Michael Dana has been impressive to me. If Chris yeah. Jones is not going to swing back inside again, we all seem to be on the same page. He plays better inside. I think he wants to be outside because he knows that's where the money is. DNs get paid more than the interior defense alignment. I understand that. So if Chris Jones is saying, I'm going to be an, an edge guy, then I would like to see more Michael Danik. Frank Clark played the most snaps out of anyone on defense, not in the uh, secondary, not named Fenton. Uh, I think it was Fenton, Sneed, Matthew, and Thornhill. That's a lot of snaps for Frank Clark. I think Dana's been more impressive. I want to see some of those Frank Clark snaps go to Michael Dana. I understand the contract, but at this point, it is a sunk cost. What do you think of that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I agree, especially on Dana. Like, Dana deserves reps. However... However, you have to create them. You got to create them. He is a he is a very dependable force whenever he's out there, and he's only getting better as he's adding experience and coaching week after week. Like he's 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 the perfect moldable player, and and that's what's working so well for him. I I, I guess I like Clark more than most people, and and. No, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I, he's not anywhere close to his contract. It, you know, the, um, I, I, I don't know what happened. I think he's ill far more than we realize. I think there's been 
um, you know, obviously like little health issues that just continue to linger. Um, you know, a hamstring doesn't just magically heal. I'm sure he was dealing with that. Um, or maybe two hamstrings. Um, you know, I, don't, I don't like the deal, of course. But I also think that Clark is a very smart player. I think he helps the guys get lined up better along the line. He can certainly call out um, plays as he sees them. I mean, like he's a very smart and instinctual player. And I, I think that's hard to quantify, um, like for the average fan who's just looking at like a pro football focus score and going, this guy sucks. Uh, I, I don't think Frank Clark sucks. I think Frank Clark is good. I think he's an asset against the run. I think he can be disruptive against the pass. He's just nowhere near twenty twenty five million dollars worth of it, and that casts a big shadow, like it or not. So what I want to do, Matt, is actually talk about running backs, which for me seems completely like what is happening. Is he in trouble? Do we need to send help? But first, Matt, we'll take a quick break. You're listening to the Arrowhead Attic Podcast with Matt Connor and Sterling Holmes. Welcome back to the Arrowhead Attic Podcast with Matt Connor and Sterling Holmes. All right, Matt, we're talking running backs, okay? I get it. This sounds crazy coming from me, but Darrell Williams was a tough runner, plunged in for two touchdowns. The overall numbers don't look great. 21 carries for 62 yards, but he scored when it mattered most. Those tough yards he picked up. Were you impressed with Darrell Williams? Was this something you thought Clyde could have done? What did you think from the run game against Washington? Yeah, I like it. I, li- I, I like the total run package. I do think Clyde scores on those touchdowns. I don't like. I don't think it's. I don't think Daryl over Clyde in those scenarios makes that big of a difference. However, I don't want to take away from Daryl's performance. I just like the overall package. I love Tooney up front. Raising. I love Creed Humphrey. I love Trey Smith. I love Daryl and all that going in. I mean, don't you? I mean, it, the whole thing works for me. I, lo- I just love seeing it. Uh, no, I just say phrasing because you said you love the whole package. That's why I said that. Uh, but, yes, <laughs> D- Daryl Williams was a very solid runner. I, I just don't understand. I think fans on both sides of the equation of Clyde need to calm down. For some reason, because Daryl had two touchdowns, all of the people who are against Clyde, again, I'm, I'm against the first-round tender on Clyde. I think you never draft a, a running back in the first round. I, I, sure. But I think Clyde probably gets those. I, I, don't, I don't understand why everyone's like, well, see, Daryl picked up those two tough touchdowns, so, uh, so Clyde, he's horrible. I saw some of that on Twitter. I think Clyde gets those. It just, And again, I think Daryl was fine, but I think Clyde does the same thing. I was enthused, but to me, the offensive line is the biggest storyline here. The addition of Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith, that needs to be the main story. I don't care who's really the running back. I think Clyde's better as a pass catcher. They just haven't utilized him in that way a whole bunch yet early on in his career. But the big storyline has to be Trey Smith and Creed Humphrey and Joe Tooney. Those three guys have been absolutely incredible. Yeah. Let me ask you this. How long do you think we're without Clyde? Oh, man. I think as long as I think they'll take a very cautious approach with Clyde. I'll say that. I I don't think they're going to rush him back. I think they were pretty enthused by Daryl Williams. Again, the yards per carry isn't good, but those two plunges. This team isn't predicated on the run. 
This team is not. They're predicated on Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kell. That's where they're predicated. So I, they're not going to rush Clyde back. I think we'll probably see a larger sprinkling in of Jarek McKinnon, especially in the past game. But who knows? I, I've been wrong before. I keep thinking the Chiefs are going to use these running backs more as pass catchers. They haven't yet. But just to me, I, I, I don't see any any chance they rush Clyde back until he's 100% healthy. What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know why they would. I mean, you don't. Like, you know, it's it's not a make or break position for the Chiefs. So you might as well. You know, you you know what matters most if you're a member of the Chiefs. You know what matters most, and that's January football. Um, and so, if doing something in October could jeopardize January, you just don't do it. You just don't. So I think that's why you know you don't. We're not seeing Josh Gordon rushed into the lineup. We're not seeing, um, you know, a Willie Gay rush back from. From injury, so we're not gonna we're not gonna see the same with with Clyde. That's that's just the way that works. Since you, um, go ahead, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I apologize. No, I cut in. That's on me, Matt. <laughs> I I wanted I wanted to ask you something because there was, I, I guess as I think more and more about the win on Sunday, I come away with something that almost sounds blasphemous, and 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 that's this. I can't think of a game where maybe I was more impressed with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey than I was on Sunday. And that sounds ridiculous, right? Neither, like, like, they're, like those two have had record-setting games. Those two have, like, you know, like, sort of, like, had, like, video game cover sort of performances where you're like, oh, my gosh, like, that was just, who, who has ever done that before? But when I was watching that game, there were multiple times when both Tyreek and Travis just looked injured out of sorts they were like they would be taken to the sideline something's clearly wrong they come back in something's still clearly wrong they go back to the sideline they were like playing through significant pain i think um and and some things were going on and and yet when you look at the box score at the end of the game both guys were right under 100 yards both guys caught around you know double digit catches or, or had double digit targets um and like, I just look up and realize, oh, my gosh, these guys were ridiculously productive even when they couldn't get the big play, even when they were playing through a lot of pain, even when there wasn't, like, these, like, highlight reel catches. Somehow, they're the ones who kept moving the chains. And I just thought, that is hella impressive to me. And I wondered what you thought of their sort of workmanlike effort on Sunday. Uh, besides you saying hella, I didn't know it was 2003 and we lived in New Jersey. Um, <laughs> no. Hella. Hella Hill. <laughs> Gosh, I was very impressed. I was very impressed. I, and that was a very good point you brought up. They were banged up going in and out of the game. It's seemingly the Travis Kelsey, multiple times I go, he's done for the game. And yes. uh, like three snaps later, he's in there catching a pass. And you're like, when did he check back in? This is how? Is he just a cyborg? But it, it was very impressive what they were able to do, play through pain, and again, you don't want them to get injured more, but at the same time, they know what's on the line. They, it's not a must-win game because I hate saying must-win in a game that's in October when, again, there's so many games left in the schedule. But this was a game that they needed to win, not must-win, but needed to win. 
and I think they saw the importance to play through pain and make sure they came out, um, you know, with the W, and they did. I am a little nervous because tight end was a position that they had so much depth. There were like four tight ends. This is crazy. But now Blake <laughs> Bell's got a, a hurt back. Jody Fortson, this is just horrible to hear. You know, torn Achilles. And then Travis Kelsey's obviously banged up. So you got Noah Gray as a rookie, the only fully healthy guy tight end on this roster. Does that make you nervous at all? It does. It does. I, You know, I... I uh, you know, to me, I think you rest Travis Kelsey for a week if you can. I, I hate to say it because even when he's not catching passes, his presence alone changes the whole defensive game plan for opponents. And so, you know, you, you don't want to see him not out there, especially this week. I mean, this game against the Titans is a chance for the Chiefs to do something against a fellow AFC contender and they haven't really had one of those statements since uh, week one against the Browns, who now look like a total shell of themselves compared to like what they thought what we thought they'd be. So you know, like if they couldn't get it done against the Chargers, against the Ravens, against the Bills, then doing it against the Titans is a nice makeup. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I think there's a lot on the line this week. So I think Kelsey is in there, but um, definitely against like upcoming NFC East opponents. Cowboys, Giants, you know, the, those kind of games that are left. I, I, Kelsey has to get some rest. He just, he just does. And um, I don't know. Are you worried? Do you think, I mean, it may be exciting to see what Noah Gray can do. I'm excited to see Noah Gray, and I don't think Travis Kelsey is seriously hurt. I think maybe we'll see uh, a little bit of a, a timeshare, and who, who knows how when Blake Bell is going to come back. But I am very sad about Jody Fortune, but I, would, I, would I say I'm – very nervous about the tight end position group. I'd say no. I mean, how many okay. how many teams have four tight ends on a roster? Right. This was a long shot to have four tight ends on the roster. I absolutely feel and I hate for Jody Fortson because he was a couple big touchdown catches. Right. You know, he he yeah. made a few plays. He had a huge catch uh, against Washington. That one we went over the top. You're like, my goodness, what an athlete. So I feel for him as a you know as a personal level, but I. Chiefs having four tight ends on the roster, that was just already gravy at some point. That was just almost overkill. It was like, hey, we have four guys who are really good at this one position. We don't want anyone else in the NFL to touch these guys, so we're just going to keep them all. So I I don't think they're going to be hurting anytime soon. Going to the Tennessee game, I want to say something that is going to sound crazy. I am pretty confident in the linebacking core stopping Derrick Henry. This sounds stupid. I can hear people yelling right now. I can hear them in the studio. I can hear people just yelling. It's, it's supposed to be soundproof. I can still hear those fe- people yelling at me. Here's why. Nick Bolton. Nick I Bol- knew it. Nick Bolton here. You have a, you have a chest tattoo of Nick Bolton, don't you? Uh, it's my thigh, but yeah. Uh, Nick Bolton's best attribute is going north-south. He's bad in pass coverage. We know this. Titans don't really have anyone who can take advantage of that. Derrick Henry ain't going out. We don't see a lot of screen passes to Derrick Henry. Titans tight ends, I'm not nervous about those guys. They hand the ball off, and I'm not saying Nick Bowen's going to just be ripping Derrick Henry game in and game out, tackling him behind the line of scrimmage, but he gets down so fast, and if he can be the first one there, make him have to stutter, and they can gang tackle Derrick, I'm confident. Just remember, last time they faced the Titans, Derrick Henry only had 69 yards rushing. 
I think this actually plays into the Chiefs' linebacking core better because I think they have a chance to hit Derek behind the line of scrimmage, and that starts with Nick Bolton. Am I crazy? I I don't think you're crazy. Um, let me ask you this, though. Tannehill is dangerous. They added... Um, I mean, not only do they have A.J. Brown, but they have Julio Jones. Are you worried at all about the air attack there? I like the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs' secondary is their best position group on the defensive side of the ball. The emergence of Fenton has been great. I really like Legereus Sneed. I obviously like uh, Tyron Matthew. And now that Juan Thornhill is going to be getting the majority of snaps, that to me shored up the major issue in the secondary. I'm not too worried about the secondary. The, the main issue, again, is going to be stopping Derrick Henry. That's what we've seen time and time again with this Tennessee team. Uh, obviously, play action, Ryan Tannehill, that plays a, plays a part. But the more I've, I've looked into it, the more I've tried to figure out how the Chiefs are going to be able to stop Tennessee's offense, the more I've come out that I think the Chiefs have a better shot than most are going to give them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I think... Um... I mean, you know, it's not how you want to. It's not how you want them to match up, but it's also important to note that, that the Titans are really hurting right now. You know, we just saw Taylor Lewan leave on a. He got carted off on a stretcher. Yeah, uh, they're coming off a short week. Um, they just lost you know, a wide receiver and a cornerback um, to torn ACLs, and they already had a starting cornerback in Christian Fulton. Um, you know, on IR the week before. So they're banged up. Their secondary is really thin. Uh, I mean, the Chiefs could really do some damage early, and if they can play from a lead, then, then the game will be over. What's your prediction? Let's do it. We haven't done this. I don't think we've been a score prediction, you and me, on a show this early. It's Tuesday, so we got a lot of time left before Sunday. <laughs> we do. We do. A lot I, of things uh, can happen. I think the results are going to look like last week. I think it's going to be like a 17-point win. So I'll guess, I'll guess 31 to 14. That's me clapping and pumping the crowd up back here. <laughs> that, that, that was me. I don't know if you could even hear the claps, but that's what I was doing. I like it. It was nice. Uh, I'm going to go 31-20. I think Kansas City writes the ship. They continue on this hot stretch. I think the defense makes plays. The over-under, I believe, is set at 56.5. I can't believe I'm saying a Chiefs game is going to go under, but I think it does. Man, I mean, I get it. I get it. You're, you're a believer in this defense, my friend. Yeah, I've kind of bought in, and that's sad. But I just there's so much talent on this defense. I can't imagine them being as historically bad as they were. I always like to think things even out. I, I'm huge into numbers and analytics. I'm a huge analytics nerd. I get it. But the main thing I've learned from numbers is eventually they even out. If something is crazy high, eventually it's probably going to come down a little bit. If something is crazy low, eventually it's probably going to come up a little bit. That defense was so unsustainably bad at some point, trends are going to point up. That's what I thought was going to happen. It happened against Washington, and I hope it continues against Tennessee. Before we get out of here, let me ask you something. Do the Chiefs still win the AFC West, or is this now the Chargers division at least this year? Oh, get out of here with that! With that, what a two-dimensional question. Yeah, dude. Uh, Chiefs, <laughs> the Chiefs will win. The Chiefs will win the West by two, maybe three games. Oh no! Like it's not. Oh yeah. Oh, you have you taken a look at the Chargers' schedule? 
I mean, I don't need to. I don't. Yeah, I don't need to. They're playing like UAB. It's like I'm a Mizzou fan, so I can say it. They're basically <laughs> playing Mizzou for, for the rest of the year. Like when Cincinnati might be their second hardest game for the rest of the season. It's a very easy schedule for the Chargers. Uh, I mean, I you know I get it with the schedule, and I I mean I like the Chargers. I I think they're doing some impressive things, but I just think the Chiefs are a hibernating bear who's who's going to wake up. I, I I just don't. Yeah, I'm I'm just not worried. I'm 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 as bullish as ever on the Chiefs on Mahomes. Yeah, I don't That's, know if the Chiefs win the AFC West, and I don't care. I don't care because you know why. I don't think they get the number one seed in the AFC overall. I, I think they've dug themselves into a hole. They've lost to some teams that they're going to end up being in contention with. So at that point, I don't even care if they win the AFC West. You know, it's, it's great to put on a plaque. It's great to say you're AFC West champions. They've had a stranglehold in this division for so long. Frankly, I, I don't care because the Chargers schedule is so easy. If they, win, if they you know, only lose one or two more games, I think the Chiefs beat them when they play them again. Does that mean the Chiefs go undefeated for the rest of the year? I don't think so. I think that's probably a little foolhardy endeavor. All that matters is playoff time. I, that's what it comes true, down to. And I true. think the Chiefs, their experience will shine through in the playoffs. I know the Chargers don't have Anthony Lynn anymore. I know Phillip Rivers is gone. But when you haven't had that experience in the playoffs, I think that actually makes a difference. So whether the Chargers win the AFC West... I don't even care. Come playoff time, I would take Kansas City over anyone else in the AFC. Yeah. And you're right about what matters most. You're right about what matters most, and those things don't matter, like the regular season and, and divisional titles and whatever. But I think the Chiefs end up 13-4. and four. I think they lose one game between now and when we're, we're talking about what matters most. And I just don't think the Chargers have the legs for that ultimate kind of record. Do they have the arms, though? They might not have the legs, but do they have the arms? <laughs> Brandon Straley has nice legs. Man, has there been a coach that has won the press conference more than Brandon Staley? That guy, that guy is seemingly... I don't even know anything about him. Dude, he's trending on... Tw- well, you were gone in the Bahamas or wherever you were, and he seemingly every single other day was just getting lauded on NFL Twitter. It was crazy. Yeah, he's like a Ted Lasso, giving quotes like, like what everyone should be saying. He's the anti-Gruden, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, we didn't even get to John Gruden. And you know what? I don't think we need to. We'll leave it as is. This was the Arrowhead Attic Podcast with Matt Connor and Sterling Holmes. Stay tuned. Uh, Patrick Allen, Matt Verderam will come with you another podcast later on this week. If you'd like to drop us a review, please do. Uh, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. We are out.